Well, good morning. Welcome. So great to see all of you. Want to also welcome those of you joining us online. So glad you could take advantage of our services. If you've never joined us in person, we'd love to have you show up at one of our weekend gatherings. Uh, now, you're probably resisting the urge right now to lean over to the person sitting next to you and asking, why is he wearing that t-shirt? We're going to get there. We're going to get there together, so it's going to be okay. Uh, but we are going to turn today to Matthew's Gospel. If you've got a Bible, uh, you can turn there or swipe there or flip there, however you read the Scriptures. Uh, Matthew chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 28. So now, Lord, as we gather together, uh, we uh, have come from so many places to uh, be in your presence, to encourage one another. I realize that many of us have come with so many things. Some of us are rejoicing and so our hearts are filled with gratitude. Others of us come with needs and prayers and hopes and dreams and so we offer those to you. I also ask that you would open our hearts, open our minds, our spirit to receive all that you want to say to us through the scriptures. We pray in Christ's great name. Amen. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Moving to Matthew Chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. As I was thinking through this message this week, I realized I'd never considered that at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, and then again at the very end of Jesus' ministry, Matthew in his gospel emphasizes a very ancient practice that we now refer to as baptism. Baptism is one of those ways, those practices that allow the invisible to become visible. A lot of our faith is unseen. The writer of Hebrews defines faith as confidence in what we hope for, evidence of what we do not see. Because a lot of our faith is unseen, we as humans look for ways to express it 
so that we can see it, feel it, touch it. We were created with senses to experience the world. And because of that, we desperately long for, or at least I do, something to hold, to touch, to, to grab onto. Which is why symbols are so important in religious expression. Behind me is a large cross. It's a symbol of our faith. It's a reminder of that which we cannot see. I mean, none of us were at the crucifixion. We didn't experience it. But the cross reminds us of a very tangible part of our faith. And religion rituals are also important because they help us see. Rituals are ceremonies that involve a series of actions that make something come alive. Some of our rituals are non-religious, of course. If you've ever graduated from high school or college, you probably were involved in a ritual in which you put on a really cheap, ugly gown with a weird-looking hat. At the end of the ceremony, the principal or the president of your college said, you are now graduated, move your tassel. We take the hat, we throw it up into the air. It's a ritual. Other rituals are a bit more solemn in nature. Funerals, for instance, those are rituals. Maybe you visit the graveside of a loved one, touch the stone so you can be in their presence or at least feel like you're in their presence. It gives us something perceptible. It's a, it's a ritual. Other rituals are incredibly sacred. Marriage is a ritual. It's sacred before God. Communion, we talked about that last weekend, is a ritual in which we take bread and wine or juice and we remember the death Jesus, baptism is one such sacred ritual. Now, rituals are often rites of passage. They create belonging. They give us a sense of identity. All cultures have them. For instance, on Pentecost Island in Vanuatu, in the South Pacific, men perform a ritual called land diving in which they climb this tower, which is roughly 98 to 100 feet, They tie vines from a tree on their legs and they leap off. It's a ritual moving them from boyhood to manhood. Now, thankfully, the rituals of Christianity don't involve leaping off towers with vines attached to our ankles. Ours are a bit more simple. We take things like bread and wine and and water because you can't talk about baptism without talking about water. The word baptize means to immerse underneath the water. And so God chooses this thing that is so essential to life to remind us of the commitment we've made to him. I mean, you and I are roughly 60% water. We, we consume it every day, I hope, eight glasses a day. Some of us are more snobby about it than others. We just replaced the reverse osmosis in our home because there are some under the Belanti household that are much too good for tap water. I mean, I grew up drinking out of a hose, so it doesn't bother me, but if I don't get the reverse osmosis fixed, then I'm spending way too much on bottled water, and there you have it. In baptism, water is not only a symbol it's not just a ritual. It's also kind of a, an identifier. Now, rituals using water are not unique to Christianity. 
Hindus wash themselves in water before praying as an act of cleansing. Buddhists believe water and bathing in water can lead to enlightenment. Islam believes water symbolizes wisdom. And the Jewish people from which Christianity emerges were performing a ritual similar to baptism for thousands of years before Jesus was born. In Judaism, water was required to perform ritualistic bathing to make oneself acceptable before God. Many homes in Judaism in the basement uh, had a ritual bath called a mikvah. Uh, Mikvahs were pools filled with water in which you could go and wash yourself before you approach God because there were so many things in Judaism that made you unclean. If you had a skin rash, if you had psoriasis, eczema, you were considered unclean, you had to go to the mikvah and bathe. If you touched the dead body of a human or an animal, you were unclean, you had to go to the mikvah to bathe. If you handled the wrong kind of animal, you were unclean. If a Gentile, a non-Jew, wanted to convert to Judaism, if you were male, there were two steps. The first was you were baptized into Judaism, and secondly, you were circumcised. I'm trying, like I'm trying to imagine that conversation. You want to convert to Judaism, great. You've got to take a bath, but then there's a surgery, and that might be a deal-breaker for me. But So now we come to Matthew chapter 3 with that background. So John the Baptist comes on the scene in Matthew chapter 3. He's odd, eclectic. He lives out in the desert. He wears clothing of camel hair, probably really itchy. He eats... Honey and wild and locusts, maybe they're high in protein, I don't know. He's this wild-eyed prophet that comes preaching a message of repentance. But what gets him most notoriety is what he's doing. Because what he's doing is so radical, so unheard of, that people are noticing. What he's doing is he's baptizing Jews. Not Gentiles, but Jews. And not because it was a ritual washing. He was baptizing for the repentance of sins. When we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament with John, the focus of baptism, water, and purity changes. It moves from a ritual that makes you pure before God to a public proclamation of something much more eternal and significant. That proclamation can be summarized with the phrase, I have decided. I have decided to follow Jesus. Listen, the water, the water doesn't save us. The water is a symbol and a public acknowledgement of something that's already happened inside of us. Baptism and the ritual, the practice of baptism, is an in, external expression of an inward transformation. Baptism isn't magic. The water's not magic. I'm simply professing that which faith. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's really clear. Salvation is through faith in Christ. The next step, however, is baptism. I want to speak just for a few moments about baptism because I do believe it's relevant to life, relevant to faith. Last weekend we talked about communion. The second is baptism, the two, the two practices that we hold dear in the Christian tradition. But I want to speak specifically about the decisions we're making as we're baptized. Because there's three of them. The first is this. When I decide to get baptized, I've decided to respond to the command of Jesus. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The language that Jesus uses in this passage is, is commanding. A command is a strong word. A command is simply an authoritative direction. But we don't like commands because we don't like things that reek of authoritarianism. The word command makes most of us bristle. No one's going to command me to do anything. I have rights, you know. Don't command me. And yet, if you own a business or if you're in a place of leadership at your job in which people report to you, sometimes you have to give a command, an authoritative direction. If you have children, every once in a while, you have to give a command. A few months ago, my lovely wife asked one of my children, I won't tell you which one, but you've got a 50-50 shot at guessing which one. She asked them not to do something. And they responded in the classic child response, but why? And so my wife gave a very articulate, logical reasonable explanation as to why said activity should not be done. And then the child again said, yeah, but why? And my head exploded. And I said, she just told you why very clearly and very calmly. Now the narrative changes. Now the why changes. This is the why. Because she said so. That's why. That's it. Jesus asks us to do this. Jesus has asked us to make an intentional decision that is a public proclamation of an internal work that he's done in us. I was baptized in 1975 at All Saints Church in Buffalo, New York. I had my baptism gown on. I was super cute. I tried to find a picture. I couldn't find one. Sorry. And all that's fine. But then in 1991, I decided to get baptized again because I wanted to consciously and personally and intentionally respond to the command of Jesus to publicly share the decision that I made, which caused a little bit of chaos in my family for a while, but we worked it out. See, by following Jesus' command, I was making a statement. 
I've decided. Like I'm changed. I'm committed. I'm all in. I've given my life to this. When you look at the story of the New Testament, particularly the book of Acts, what you notice is when people make a profession of faith, they're baptized often immediately. It happens in the book of Acts chapter 2, chapter 8, 9, 10, 16, 18, 19, and 22. I have decided to follow Jesus and I respond by submitting myself to that challenge, that command, that instruction. Secondly, the second decision I make is I have decided to respond to Jesus' invitation to die. Now you may be thinking, well, that took a dark turn. We don't like to talk about death. Nobody does. Most people fear it. At the very least, we don't think about it at all. So I decided I wanted to think about it a little bit. I have an app on my phone. It's called We Croak. It was a buck. And five times a day, I get a message on my phone that is simply a quote from someone famous about death. Now, the app was inspired because the Bhutanese have a saying. To be happy, a person must contemplate death five times a day. And so five times a day, I get this message and think about death, and it doesn't really work, but I keep doing it. (laughs) The language of death is frequently used by Christian thinkers. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor that stood up against Nazism, wrote in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, "When when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him. Or it may be a death like Luther's, referring to Martin Luther, who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world. But it is the same death every time. Death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man at his call. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament says it like this, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. Baptism symbolizes death and celebrates resurrection. Baptism symbolizes the death to myself, to my greed, to my selfishness, to my pride, to my arrogance, to my old sinful habits. When I stepped in 1991 into the water of baptism and went underneath, it symbolized a burial. The burial of the old me. The Mike that was kind of a jerk. The writer of Colossians, the Apostle Paul, says, For you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When you're hidden, when you're completely hidden, the only thing that is visible is that which conceals you. When my daughter Hannah was about two years old, maybe three, she stole this blanket from my wife. My wife loves blankets. We have so many blankets we could we could blanket the earth. We have a lot of blankets. So she took this, this purple, purple blanket 
and made it her own. She actually slept with it every night until she went to college and then she left it at home, which is very sad. Um, but I digress. When Hannah was about four-ish, we wanted her to stay in her bed all night and not climb into ours, which we tried. Uh, but she would come in in the evening and she would take that purple blanket and she would put it over her body, like cover her, and she'd walk into our room covered in this blanket because she thought we couldn't see her. And she'd walk in and we'd just see this living purple blanket walk in and I'd say, oh, it's a purple ghost. And I mean, we knew she was in there, right? But all that we could see was that which concealed her. When I committed to Christ, I died, I'm hidden in him. You know, you know I'm still in here. But what I hope you see is Jesus. Because in the end, death and burial is not how the story concludes. There's a, there's a resurrection. We celebrate resurrection. So as I come up out of the water, I'm celebrating new life in Christ, a new and better way. Because listen, faith is not just a tack on. It's not just something we do. Yeah, I, I go to church sometimes like it's an extracurricular activity. So let me, let me show it to you this way. I brought Play-Doh because everyone loves Play-Doh. And if you don't, that's weird. So let's say that this blue piece of Play-Doh represents my life. I've noticed it has glitter in it. It's sparkly, just like my personality. And so this is me. And we'll say the orangest pink one is God. It is so easy for religion just to become something I add on to my life when I feel like it. Oh, I went to church this weekend. I'm good. Go back to my normal life. And then, oh, I need God to help answer my prayers. So I'm going to invoke him again and tack him on a little bit and then go back to my normal life. And yet the language of the Bible is the language of with Christ that I become, I live in him. So it's not this, it's this. And Christ and I, I mean, the Bible says that when I accept him, his spirit lives in me. And what you see is this wonderful blending of me and the Lord. Because I've decided that my identity is in him. That's the third decision. I've decided that my identity is in him. The Apostle Paul writing in the book of Second. Corinthians chapter 5 says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. You ever gone through an identity crisis? I mean, we joke about it, we laugh about it, we joke about laugh about midlife crisis, identity crisis. But all joking aside, going through an identity crisis can be actually a pretty painful experience and not really knowing who you are, not knowing your purpose I have friends that were star athletes in high school. They even went on to play in college, but that's where it stopped. They never made it to the big leagues. Their whole identity was so wrapped up in the sport that they played that when they no longer played the sport, they lost a sense of who they were. Or maybe maybe you were really successful in your job or your vocation or your business and now you're retired your really comfortable life is good but 
you're asking the question, now what? All of who I was was so wrapped up in that, I don't really know who I am anymore. My dad retired five or six years ago. He was a vice president of a very large company. Incredibly successful. He plays golf a lot in Florida. He has a group of guys in Florida that they play golf every week. And they call themselves the FIGS. It's the FIGS Golf Group. FIGS, F-I-G-S, stands for Formerly Important Guys. They're all CEOs or doctors or lawyers, and they play golf together. And their identity is defined by who they used to be. Or maybe you've been a stay-at-home parent, and now the kids are either out or they're getting close to being out. They no longer need you as much anymore, and you are asking the question, what's my purpose now? What's my identity? We look so often for something external to define who I am and validate our existence. Then what I do becomes who I am. And yet any identity I achieve rather than receive is outside of the Christian narrative. Because my, here's my identity. My identity is I am a child of God. Here's your identity. You are a child of God and he adores you. I hope that in some way, I believe in some way, that God looks at me like I look at my kids. Like I don't, there's nothing my children can do, nothing they can say that will ever cause them to lose their identity as my child. I'm something because I'm in Christ. When I write, messages to give on the weekend. I don't really speak anything that I don't desperately need myself and I desperately need to hear this. When I was baptized, everything changed for me. My baptism was an acknowledgement that I don't believe that the, the Bible is just a nice story. I don't believe this is just something I do on the weekend. I acknowledge that, that Christ is life, that when I read the, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, like I want to be that. And I look at the life of Christ, I want to emulate him to the best of my ability. No, I'm not perfect. Yes, I do stupid stuff. Yes, I fail regularly. But that does not stop my identity in Christ. So maybe you're here this week and you say, that's fine, Mike, I've already been baptized. That was nice. Nice little talk. The question, I said, the question I would ask is, are you living into the baptism that you experienced? Are you living into the proclamation that you made? Or was it just a box that was checked because that's what we do? Has it become life? And if you've not uh, been baptized, here's your next step. Because we're all about next steps at Northbrook. I want to encourage you to make that public proclamation of faith by dying and resurrecting to new life. Our next baptism is in January. We'd love to have you be a part. Let us know by filling out your connection card. Put your contact information on there. We'd love to have you be a part of that. Again, baptism doesn't save us. That's faith in Christ. But it is a public proclamation of a deep work. I have decided. 
So Lord, I, I have decided, um, decided many years ago to follow you. I'm a man of many faults, many imperfections, many failures, and yet you still call me your own. You're still doing a deep internal work in me, and I am I am proud to make that proclamation. I have decided to follow Jesus. Help me, help us to live into that proclamation and that statement that we've made. Help us to live in such a way that our identity is consumed in you and your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your justice. Amen.